So, I titled today's message, Love is Their Lie. Love is Their Lie. All right, so stay with me. Hopefully, you'll understand this in a moment. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So, we get to this, this, uh, this very first verse, and it has this therefore in it. So, that means that, hey, I've completed a thought, and I'm going to jump into another thought, but it kind of hinges on the previous thought, right? So, trust that God knows best is really what the culmination of it is. Hey, when you see sin, he said this. He said, get angry, right? And I talked to you guys last week about how we can take verses way out of context. In my whole life, I've always heard that, that, that verse in Ephesians 4 talking about anger being preached independent of everything else. This idea that says, you know, hey, get angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But, but that's actually not what it says. He's sitting here talking about sin, and then he doesn't say, like, you can get angry. He says, this should make you angry. Just don't sin in your anger. And then he doesn't say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, right? So if that anger pushes you to a place of like internal hostility, you need to reconcile that before the sun goes down. This is not him saying like when you and your wife are having a disagreement, you know, don't let the sun go down before you navigate it, right? And, and, and to be honest, like that my whole life I've heard it taught that way. But when we're going verse by verse through the scripture, no, he's talking about sin. And then he's saying, this should upset you, right? This should be a problem for you. And, and, and if it's not a problem for you, then there's a trust issue going on between you and God. And so if you're going to trust that God knows best, which means that at times you're going to call sin, sin, okay, right? If you're going to do that, then be imitators of God as beloved children. So what does it mean to be an imitator? Well, this word in the Greek means to be a follower, following in all things. Now, I, I think that and, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to speak from even like where I have been in my own life. When I think about an imitator and being an imitator of Christ, I think about just kind of doing the best I can, right? But this word doesn't mean like, like trying. It is literally, you know that, that game your kids do in the backseat of the car where they start copying each other and one of them is really good at it and the other one is super mad? right? Like, stop copying me, stop copying me, stop copying me, stop copying me, right? And then one of them gets really smart and is like, I'm a pretty princess, right? And then you hear your son in the back seat go, I'm a pretty princess, right? Because they're going to win no matter what. Like, like and, and hand movements, everything, it's like a game of mirror going on. That's the picture of what this looks like to be an imitator. It is not like, hey, look, I'm going to act out a little skit and, you know, it's like phone tag, do the best you can. No, Paul says be an imitator. Like mirror yourself in every way possible for what purpose? As beloved children. Now, this first verse really sets up some things for us later. That's why I'm going to take a moment and unpack this. This picture of children, right, is not just like random kids, okay, but specifically in the Greek, this type of child is a descendant. So you are a descendant of God. So imitate him, like get caught up in, in, in trying to mirror every action you can because why? Because if, if you're doing it, you are a descendant of God, all right? Now, remember this because this is, again, this is going to come back in just a few moments. So let's get to verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. So Paul wants to reaffirm a few things up front. He wants to reaffirm our responsibility to love. We've got to love people, okay? We've got to be gracious, right? We've got to make sacrifices, right? We can't compromise, right? These are things that are fundamental to what it looks like to mirror Christ, 
right? I'm going, to, I'm going to figure out how to show love. I'm going to figure out how to be gracious in the midst of things. I'm going to make sacrifices, but I'm not going to compromise. Now, the reason that I say that I'm struggling with some of this is because as I'm unpacking this for myself, right, and I'm preparing this message, I'm looking at the way that I lead as a pastor, and I'm telling you, like, just the last few months, God's been doing a work inside of me, and, and, and some of this right here, I don't think I, I have done very well. I want to do better. Uh, recently, Carmen and I watched a movie called The Hollers. I had never even heard of it. You may not have heard of it. It kind of flew under the radar years ago uh, by one of our favorite actors, uh, John Krasinski, uh, played Jim on The Office, and uh, he directed this and was acting in it, and they did a portrayal of a youth pastor in the movie. Now, Hollywood typically, if they're going to do any type of church portrayal, it is to make them filthy, disgusting. Who would be a Christian, right? I mean, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody seen Paul, right? Seth Rogen just basically spends the entire hour and a half as an alien bashing anybody that would be a, uh, a Christian, right? You move over here to the hollers, and they introduce this guy who is a youth pastor. And, and the reason I bring it up is because it was actually kind of interesting. Because they, uh, they have this guy who's divorced, and uh, he finds out that his ex-wife is dating a youth pastor. And so he decides, I'm going to go and spy on my ex-wife, right? This doesn't sound like a smart thing to do. Uh, and so he gets his brother, John Krasinski, to go with him, and they're sitting on the street, and John has no clue what's going on until his brother pulls out binoculars and starts looking through the window, right? Some things are illegal already happening. And the youth pastor comes walking out, and I'm full-on expecting them to just start trashing this guy, right? And so the youth pastor comes to the window and says, you know, knows who he is, calls him by name and says, hey, uh, I'm going to need you to go, go ahead and leave, right? You're making your ex-wife uncomfortable as one would looking through the window with binoculars. And uh, the guy goes on this kind of rant, right? Uh, you know, what, what does it mean to be a youth pastor? And why aren't you a pastor? Is it because you're just not good enough? You couldn't cut it? And he was like, no, I just really love working with kids. And this guy turns that into like this whole sexualized thing, making fun of him, and he yells an obscenity, and he goes to crank his car, right? Thinking, man, I just got this guy really good, and the car doesn't crank, right? It's super awkward. It was awkward for me in the room because I have been in this place. And the youth pastor did exactly what, what a real minister would do. And he looked at the guy, and he said, it sounds like possibly your chain is slipping. Would you like for me to look at it? And the guy says, yes. And he pops the hood. And I thought, man, what an incredible, somebody in this, in, in this writing team had, actually knows what it looks like to be a believer. They actually know what it looks like to live in a world that hates followers of Christ, to be able to sit there and have somebody swear at you and, and talk about you in a way that is unbefitting, and then your response be, let me help you with that, right? And I can't even tell you how many times in my life I have walked that out as a pastor and before being a pastor in other positions of ministry, I have walked that out. So I really connected with that, and it really, it, it, it's a picture of what we are to be like. Remember that they hated Jesus, they cursed Jesus. They wanted Jesus dead. And yet Jesus kept showing up and serving. Jesus kept loving. He kept connecting even unto the cross. And so there's this picture of what it looks like to be authentic. And Paul sets all this up in two verses because he's going to dive right into topically what is controversial, what is unacceptable, what nobody wants to talk about, right? It's the same for us today. We get into verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And so, like I said, we're going to talk about sex for a little bit. And it, you might feel like, man, he has this slide every single week, right? Well, let me, let me just go ahead and throw something out to you, right? Blame the Scripture, because I am telling you, you are hard-pressed to find a book in the Bible that does not cover something along the con around the content of sexual behavior, right? Just like nearly 
every culture in the time that the scripture was written talked about sexuality, right? It is a constant in our society. It is everywhere. There is a constant conversation around sex. And the one place that nobody wants to hear about it is at church. The one place that we want that conversation left alone is at the church. And so Paul addresses this because this is evidently true even in that day. You see, in Rome, the strong took what they wanted. So if you go and you begin to look at Roman culture, Roman civilization, what you find is that there was this, there was this, this mindset that the strong got what they wanted. And so there was a constant desire to be the strongest, right? It was socially acceptable for a married Roman to participate in extramarital intercourse with men or women as long as they dominated. And so there was an image of like this like really pretty, you know, husband and wife and kids. But outside of that, that little moment, that picture of what you might show in a high society event, you were welcome to do whatever you wanted to do sexually as long as you were the one dominating yourself. And so a real man or woman dominated in the bedroom as they did on the battlefield or business. This included same-sex relationships, slaves, children, and even raping people of lower status. Why do I bring this to the table? Because this is the society Paul lived in. This was the influence of the world around him, of the writings around him. And so the Holy Spirit, in his infinite wisdom, is leading Paul not to just write a text that is relevant to us today, but was also relevant then. And how could, how could the Holy Spirit be leading and guiding individuals to write out passages that would be so timeless and important? One of the arguments that you hear from people today is, well, you know, they just had no idea that it would be like it is today. And you know what I say to somebody like that is, you've just never read a history book because there's nothing new happening Right? The same cycles of political divide and, and movements towards what, what is called equality or equity or sexual revolution, they just are repeated over and over and over. So the, the Word of God is extremely relevant. And the Bible's views and teachings were disruptive to the social fabric and view of dominance in the Roman Empire. There was a reason that it was illegal to be a Christian. Because it undid exactly what they saw as being culturally proper. Faithfulness and monogamy were weak. Only the weak participated in those things. Now, do you think that it got to that? That it just like one day they woke up and, hey, this is how it's going to be? It wasn't like that. You're talking about the Romans inheriting a culture from the Greeks, and the Greeks had already embodied most of this, right? So as, as as time is moving and cultures are dominating other cultures, it just continues this cycle of moving in to what is, in every one of these societies, some type of sexual perversion. And we can trace this all the way back into the time of Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Cyrus and the Persian Empire following after the Babylonian Empire. Same type of lifestyles, same type of ideas. They move from one generation to the next. And so, Paul, right? He's addressing something that is relevant then just as much as it is today. Faithfulness and commitment in the confines of marriage were neither popular nor safe to proclaim. Addressing these topics and standing against the social norm took incredible bravery because it cost them their lives. I mean, and, and let me be honest with you, like, I get it. Like, standing against some of the things that are presented today, there can be cost associated with it. People lose their jobs. Some of the stuff that I've been struggling with this last year has been this manner of how to navigate some relationships that I have had even here in the church with people who, who do not believe that the Scripture is inherent in truth while simultaneously me believing it and trying to figure out how do I present it. And I've become guilty of like silence at certain points of not taking a proper stand because I might offend somebody. Paul says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you 
as is proper among the saints. So Paul says that, so here's the body of Christ. Those that are the saints, you, you cannot do these things. You cannot engage in this lifestyle. You've got to be separated from it. Why? He says here in verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So it isn't just scripture that talks about these topics. Roman literature was rife with explicit content. I mean, if they had a grocery store the way that we have them today, the tabloids would have read 10 ways to satisfy your partner. Five reasons a one-night stand is the best thing you can do. This was the same language that was being used then. It's the same language that's being used today. Paul is looking at churches that are completely giving themselves over to this, right? They are saying, hey, we can do both. We can be relevant in society. We'll accept you no matter what. And, you know, maybe we'll participate a little bit. And he's looking at churches doing that. And then he's looking at churches like the church in Ephesus. And he's like, you guys are, you guys are on point. Like you're loving Jesus. You're preaching the gospel. But I got to warn you, right? There's a, there is a lifestyle that has been presented and other churches are beginning to waver already in just one generation. You cannot be among them. And the, and the cost may be high. I was given a list a couple of months ago that a, um, and I'm going to say some things that probably right here upset Maybe not people in the room, but definitely will upset people around us. There is a, uh, a church that has lesbian pastors, and they have been compiling a list of venues, businesses, and churches that do not uh, support the causes that they support. They are on this list. They're taking businesses, and they're, they're creating this spreadsheet, and and the, the copy of it that I was given, it, it shows on there who they voted for, right, and how to boycott them. And so part of the, the conviction that I've got is like somebody's saying something, so if I say nothing, what, what happens? What happens if I say nothing? And then I come to a text like this, right, where I'm already wrestling with this, and Paul just straight addresses this. He says, this can't be found among you in the church. You cannot be like this. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I just want to pause there and tell you that like, there's... This, this reads exactly how Paul wrote it out. Paul is writing to the church, to the believers, to people who he, to, to every, every account that he's gotten, they love the Lord. He says, he says, but you may be sure of this. Like if there are things that you're like, well, I don't know if it's like this or if it's like that. He says, no, 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 let me just, let's just go ahead and nip this in the bud. You may be sure of this. Sexual, sexually immoral people, those who are covetous, idolaters, right? The inheritance that God has, they get none of it. And that's a, that's a, that's a heavy passage, Right? And the immediate response is, is, how can you exempt yourself from a verse like this while simultaneously participating in the sin? That's what, that's what we do, right? And, and when I say we, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about pastors. Because it's a lot easier for me to figure out how to break this down to mean something other than what it says so that you don't get upset, so that the people who are watching online don't get upset. Because the, the reality of the situation is, is that if everybody leaves and nobody's investing financially in the church, the doors close. And so this becomes the big question. It's like, how do, how do I rationalize this away? How do I, and, and the number one way to rationalize passages like this away is just not to teach them. And the way that I make sure that I don't get in that place 
is I teach verse by verse through an entire section of Scripture. That way I can't skip it. That way I can't just be topical and avoid the topics that are uncomfortable because the Scripture is filled with really uncomfortable things. Verse 23, I want to give you an example of this. We're not going to make it this far today. We'll be talking about this next week, but I just want you to look at this text. It says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior, right? So, in this idea of reconciling what I want my life to look like and what I say God will make happy, right? Pastors, some theologians, they would call themselves commentators, they begin to adapt and change Scripture in huge ways. And let me tell you, one of them uh, is a man named Richard Rohr, and I'm, I'm calling him out by name because if you're watching, listening to him, you need to be very, very careful. He was reading a passage just like this. I've been auditing some of his classes because he has a quote-unquote school of ministry. And he reads this, and then he says, I- I'm sorry to use the male pronoun here, talking about God. This is what he said while he was reading. He paused and said, I'm sorry to do this. Paul didn't know any better. How could Paul have possibly known that God was neither male nor female? Now, why would I, why would I pause on this? Because this guy right here is all over the place. I mentioned him a few months ago, from Oprah to Rob Bell, so many so many people that have been influential in my life are listening to these teachings and their whole faith is shifting. And, and the idea is, and, 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 and the language that he uses that other pastors and other evangelists are beginning to use is that the Bible does more harm than it does good. And we probably shouldn't be preaching from it. And I, I got to tell you, I got to reject that. I have to reject that. I have to reject that because of what I've seen God do in my life, because of the encounters that I've had with God, because I believe that if, if there is a sovereign God, and which I do believe, that He is capable of speaking and preserving His Word, and that His Word can be true 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years from now. It can be the exact same truth. It does not have to be subjective or changed because He's God. So I look at something like this, and I hear this being said, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what's going on, right? And yet, instead of there being voices standing up and speaking against it, I'm hearing more and more people who use this terminology, exvangelical. I'm no longer evangelical, I'm exvangelical. And this language that births from there is God doesn't care about sexuality and God doesn't care about sexual identity and God these are things that transcend God why would God care about any of that stuff and yet I look at scripture and scripture just goes constantly back to the fact that God cares about it and not just one guy who lived for you know 70 years writing about it we're talking about a group of men and women that lived thousands of years apart sharing the exact same theology and doctrine over and over and over. Some of them never even getting connected to the text, right, that they, that, that, that they somewhat mirror. And the only explanation for that consistency, they didn't have computers, right? The only explanation for that is a supernatural work that took place from Genesis to Revelation. Verse 6, he goes on. And this is what he says, right? Because I know what you're thinking. Like, 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 we come out of this and it's like, well, you know, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. But Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Paul, Paul does this thing. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I love it, right? Because I'm sitting here on a verse and when I'm meditating on it, I'm like, oh, I know what people are going to say. I know what they're going to And then I get to the next verse and I'm like, man, Paul knew too. He knew that people were going to be talking about, well, this guy, you know, he's got a lot of followers, so he must love Jesus, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, remember, I connected you to verse 1, and I said, hey, there's some things here that are going to make a difference a little bit later, right? Well, uh, uh, first of all, this word empty is empty in that they possess no power directed toward the immovable direction of God. Nothing that they say is changing the nature of God. 
Nothing that they're saying is changing the immutable character of God. It cannot change it. Why? Because it's immutable. Because it cannot be changed. The only thing that we can accomplish in our lives is creating our own false God. And we can call him Jesus, and we can call it Christianity, but that doesn't make it Jesus and Christianity. This word sons here, right? Verse 1 used the word children's. It's the same thing, descendants. So you have descendants of God that mirror him. This is Paul's, man, the Holy Spirit like working in him. It's crazy. These little, these little word connections, right? So you can be a descendant of God mirroring him, or you can be a descendant of wrath mirroring sin. Because there's one group that says, all right, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me all the time, but I trust that God is God. God is sovereign. He knows what I do not know. I'm going to mirror God. I'm going to live my life to look like his. And then there is a group of people who say, well, if I was God, I wouldn't do this. So therefore, God wouldn't do this. And let me just tell you, you want a good example of how that fails, right? Just spend a day around a child. You tell a child to do something, and they think to themselves, well, that can't be true, because I'm so smart, I've got it all figured out, right? And if you don't have kids, just babysit mine for a minute, right? <laughs> or I can name some other kids you could babysit. There are some families that would love a break, and you would learn a lot, right? <laughs> Therefore, do not become partners with them. And this is the part that's just like a weight in me because, man, there are so many groups out there, so many organizations that I'm watching the church partner with that are actively, actively talking about their disdain and hate for God in the church. Actively, from their top leadership. And yet the church seems to just... Like, well, we'll take the good with the bad. Th this word here, partner in the Greek, is these are partakers or co-participants, right? When you partner with somebody, when you go hand in hand with them and go, we're going to do this, right? You are a co-participant. I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the guy that drives the getaway vehicle for the bank heist goes to jail with everyone else, right? The judge doesn't go, oh, you were just the driver? Pfft, go home. Cook your mama some dinner. That's not how it works. You were actively engaged in the process of committing a crime. And so what do we do to reconcile that in our society? We go today, well, robbing a bank isn't a crime. So we'll send everybody home. But none of us believe that, especially if our money is in that bank. And so this is why we do not partner with organizations, individuals, or groups who justify immorality or walk contrary to Scripture. I am sorry. That has been one of the most difficult conversations that I have had to have over this last year is that, listen, the Word of God is very clear that while there might be parts, right, of what this group is talking about that are good, right, the responsibility sits on the church to fight those things. And I cannot do anything except for ignore Scripture if I'm going to walk hand in hand with them. And so I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I certainly can't partner with a group that wants to see the church closed. And, and, the, and the thing that is so confusing to me, right, is the amount of, of Marxist literature that's moving through our nation right now. And you're like, why are you talking about Karl Marx, Pastor Jim? Well, here's why. Because Karl Marx, in his own manifesto, believed that the church had to be eradicated. In order for this utopia that he wrote about that so many people want to see happen, in order for it to happen, the disease of the church needed to be eradicated. So, so if somebody says, like, I'm a Marxist, do, do you understand that? Do you understand, like, like, if somebody knocks on the door, right, and you go and answer it, and they say, hey, uh, I'm a thief. I specialize in stealing jewelry and high-end equipment. Uh, can we have dinner? 
sure, come on in. Let's have dinner, right? Hey, do you mind if I just let my kids sit at the table with you for a few moments while I go to the bathroom, you know? I'll be back in 20 minutes, let's say. Nobody does that, right? Nobody does that. And yet, from this like big groupthink position, we're doing that. Now, I'm not saying that everything that every group is fighting for is not worth fighting for, right? So if there are things that we go, man, we need to be fighting for this. We need to be fighting for them as the church. But we do not compromise with a group of people that want to see the church eradicated. And Paul says, let me tell you, like this group of people out here who are given over to idolatry, they're given over to sexual revolution, right? That cannot be in the church. It cannot be. And because it cannot be, you cannot partner with them. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. What does he say? Light, light, that which is separated from sin, is found in everything that is good, right, or true. Meaning that if there is not light in it, it is not good, right, or true. And because light and darkness are separated and do not cohabitate the exact same space, you will never find light and darkness in something. So it will either be light or it will either be darkness. There's just not a middle ground. And it's not comfortable. It's not what we want to say because we know that it offends other people. Paul said in chapter 4, he says, no, you're going to have to get angry at sin or you're not going to be able to walk this thing out and you're going to find yourself in the same place. Remember, he says, make no mistake. When it comes to the inheritance, to everything that you are seeking in eternal life, there's a separation from sin. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So what is discern to test, right? So somebody shows up and they're engaged in a lifestyle. I need to put a test to it, right? I need to be able to go, okay, this is different from how I do life. Sometimes that's just cultural, right? So, so uh, uh, I, I use Kenya as an example of a lot because that's the majority of my missions work. We've done some other stuff, but, but Kenya is like just has a special place in my heart. So, so when I'm in Kenya, right, we start church at 8 a.m., right? And, and one time we went till 11.30 and they were having a prayer time at the altar and they said amen. And I was like, okay, well, that was kind of a long service, three and a half hours, but you know, no big deal. And then they open the back doors and they come in and they have uh, lunch, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, so we're going to eat right here. No, no, no. This was like a dine-in theater. You get your food, sit back down so that the next pastor can start preaching, 2.30 rolls around, and I'm feeling tired at this point, and I'm thinking something, this is just tough. Like, what is going on? And they have another prayer time. They say, amen. I thought this was good. I survived. I'll have a story to tell. The door's open, and here comes a rolling cart with a giant birthday cake on it. And I thought, well, I guess we're celebrating somebody's birthday. No, we're having dessert while the third pastor gets up to preach. Right? Now, for me, I was going crazy inside. I, I, I know you would think that I'm just like so holy, I would just listen to, you know, three pastors preach for three hours each. Listen, it's in a language I don't even understand, so an interpreter is, is anyway. But the truth is, there's no sin in that. They just love Jesus so much, they committed their Sunday to come and get as much of the Word as they could get. As much as they could get. Somebody else comes in, though, and begins to kind of jump into topics, and they start talking about sexual revolution. When I discern, when I test that, you know what I'm going to find is I'm going to find that, man, this, is, this doesn't line up with the Word of God. So there can be cultural differences, right? We test these things. We find out, do they line up with the Word of God? How does God, does this grieve the Spirit, as Paul said in chapter 4? Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So this, this phrase here, take part in, is to have fellowship with. You, you, this idea of, of fellowship is like coming together and sharing a meal, hanging out together, right? It's like 
He's like, look, you can, you can interact. Jesus interacted with the sinners, right? But he did not become friends with them where he was like, yo, guys, man, church is going long. I've got to meet up with so-and-so over here. I'll see you guys later and run over there, right? No, he would go and he would, might have a meal with them, but for what purpose? To share the gospel, to call their sin out, to tell them I love you anyway. Repentance is a possibility. And do you know what? Many of them came to know the Lord through that process. Many did not. But what did not happen is they didn't become besties. They weren't hanging out all the time, going on camping trips. And Paul says, do, do, not, do not take part in, do not have fellowship with. And this is tough, man. This is tough stuff. But instead expose them. I'm just curious how many of you have had a pastor preach through these verses in chapter 5, right? Because I'm thinking to myself, like, when I'm doing this, I'm like, I don't know that I have ever had a pastor break this down for me. And he says here, he says, take no part in their unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So now there's a responsibility that sets on your shoulders to expose. And I know what you're thinking. Well, expose means, like, write it in your diary, right? Like, just in, make a personal note that it's, no, in the Greek... It is to show to be guilty, to reprove, to rebuke. I mean, those are really harsh, hard, that's a difficult thing. So sometimes there are people that we care about, and it's like, oh, this is tough, but man, that's not, that's sin. And Paul says that by doing this, we are a reflection of light. Like we're their only hope. I mean, do you understand that if people do not get Jesus, if they do not get the gospel, there's a judgment that waits on them. And so we talk about, man, I love you. I love my brother. I love my sister. Love is love, and we're all around love. But real love doesn't allow somebody to set themselves on fire and jump off of a cliff. Real love stops it. I was riding bicycles with a friend of mine years ago, and, and he was very consumed with how he looked on his bicycle. And so he would not wear an hel a helmet, right? Um, he was like, they look dumb. Helmets look dumb is what he said. So I wore a helmet on my bicycle, right? I was like, I don't, wanna, I don't care if I look dumb. I like my head. And, you know, I mean, I believed in school when they told me wearing a helmet can save your life. I was like, oh, that makes sense to me. So we were riding one day, and we were mountain biking downhill, and we were going fast. And, and we, come, we cut through this area, and we come out onto this road, and there's a sidewalk, and the sidewalk is uneven. And we're flying full speed, you know, young guys do this thing, and all of a sudden, he blacks out. Because not only was he not wearing a helmet, he had not eaten anything all day long. Late afternoon, summer day, no lunch, no breakfast blood sugar dipped, and he blacked out from pushing himself so hard, and he locked up on that front brake and went forward. And right where the sidewalk was uneven, he hit his head right on the corner right here. And so he's like, in front of me, sprawled out, and I'm stop, coming to a stop. I jump off my bike, and he's like water gunning from his head, trying to make that child appropriate. It was terrifying. Completely blacked out. So uh, I'm sitting here trying to apply pressure and figure out what to do, right? So I've got, I took my shirt off, I'm applying pressure, and he wakes up and is wild out of control, swinging at me, trying to bite me, and I don't know what's going on, right? But what I knew was that if I just said, whoa, 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 you're in charge, and got up and let him go, he could die. And I loved him enough even though he wasn't smart for not wearing a helmet, Joel, if you're watching right now, wear a helmet. You're a great illustration for my kids. They all wear helmets. They're scared to walk out the door without a helmet because of you. Thank you. But I knew enough to know that he was wrong. And I pinned him to the ground. I found out later that when you black out like that, that you can actually wake up and not even know where you're at, not knowing what's going on. He wasn't being angry. He was just deceived. And real love did not say, hey, buddy, what do, you, what do you want? Real love was there with everything I had, holding him to the ground, waiting for the hospital, for the ambulance to arrive. And this is what he says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Now, if we simplify this text, 
to not mean all these different types of sexual behavior, then what is it that is shameful about it, right? Because that's the thing. I talked about how, like, so we've got to reconcile this stuff so that we can participate and still get our inheritance, right? And Paul says, don't let those, those words, right, they're empty, even be spoken, because even talking about this type of stuff, right, can feel shameful. I, I get that. I don't know if you get that, but there are just things that I even have a hard time whispering sometimes, right? So I'll, I'll do some, some, some premarital counseling. I'll do some marital counseling. And, and I want to see people set free. I want to see men and women experience everything that God has for them, the fullness of their lives. Like, I want them to walk in it, right? Sometimes people will come in, and it's usually men, I'm not going to lie, but there, there's some weird stuff going on. There's some weird things that they're doing. And if you're one of those guys in here, I'm telling you, stop. Like, I'm talking about weird stuff. And, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can't, I can't even say it. I get home, and, and I'm talking with Carmen, and, and, you know, we have this really great relationship, and I'm like, I can't even repeat it. Like, I can't get the words out of my mouth. Like, I feel dirty just thinking about some of the stuff that these guys are into. Right? That shamefulness, even to speak. And you're like, no, I'm past that. Are there, are there even things you feel shameful to talk about in front of your mom? Right? Are there things you don't want to have a conversation with your mom? Right? Do you want to go home and talk about certain things when everything's open with you and mom? Probably not. I hope not. Right? He says that, that for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So some of these things are just, they're just uncomfortable to talk about. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So it might feel shameful. It might feel uncomfortable. You might feel like, man, I could lose my job if I take this stand, if I tell them this. They might put me on a list. They may not want to come to my business. They may run me on the evening news. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm glad I've got a pastor that's beyond that. But you haven't. I have felt just as afraid of this mob as anybody else. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but pastors have mortgages too. The car dealership doesn't hand out free vehicles to us. The power company doesn't just leave us with unlimited power. And so the, the same things that maybe sometimes if you're a believer in here, you might be thinking, man, I don't really know how to address this, so I'm just going to stay out of it. I, I get that, and I've been guilty of that. And what it has led to, now I'm looking at and I'm thinking to myself, like, like never again. Never again. We started a coffee shop a year after this church started. And, and many of you have been here. We helped fund that, and we fought for that. And during COVID, it became apparent that after 10 years, we only made a profit in the, for six months out of almost a 10-year run that we had. And we made the decision it was time to close. And we had a group of people beg us to sell it to an individual. And we sold the coffee shop a couple of months ago to them. And this week, somebody sent me a picture of the coffee shop that many of you helped fund uh, from Instagram with rainbow flags all over the building and a lot of conversation around Pride Month in the month of June. And less than the debate around what is sexual sin and not sin, I got upset and I got hurt because more than anything, there was a sacrifice made by a group of people that has been spat on. And I, I apologize to every one of you because in an attempt to try to win people and love people through stuff, I just, I've put up with too much and not exposed enough. And the fruit of that is disgusting. It's terrible. And I know I'm on video right now. And I'm sure it'll make its rounds with the same group of people that hate my guts right now. But I got to tell you something. I need to go to bed at night and be able to pray and talk to God and feel peace. And this constant barragement of deceit has got to stop. can't be a part of it. Now, I want to tell you, I do feel like that we've had an incredible 
pruning in the church. We've had a number of people who have left because of the stands that we've begun to take. Listen, it is none of it's hate. I don't care what anybody says. Somebody can go, it's just hate. It's not hate. It's not hate. Paul says that when we speak truth and kindness and we're ready to say, come and sit down with me and we're going to do life together, that is love. And that is 100% where I'm at. And if you are living in any type of lifestyle that has sin in it, I, don't come to me expecting me to go, well, that's not sin, because that puts me in the position of being therefore in sin. But I'm also not out there to attack you and defeat you, because what did Paul say? I've lived in darkness. I've been there. I'm not going to live there anymore. For anything that becomes visible is light. So the truth has just got to be spoken. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So when you and I show love, but keep silent, not addressing sin around us or in people's lives, and avoiding conflict, we make love a powerful lie. And the love of the Scriptures is full-on hijacked. I don't even know what the recovery is going to look like for us to be able to get the true definition of love back into people's minds and hearts so that when they read Genesis to Revelation, they understand what love is. Because love now is so redefined that people take the, the modern definition and they apply it into Scripture. That's not how it works. And so love has become this incredible, incredible lie. He uses this odd language here, too. He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. So a call by rabbis at the Feast of Trumpets, which was a call to stop ignoring sin, took place during this time. So, and it was the same language. So a lot of scholars think that when Paul is sitting here saying, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, because a lot of the audience that is reading this is, is, are, are either Jews or they are Gentiles that are now being influenced by Jews. So remember that when in the book of Acts, right, Paul is going around, he's sharing the gospel, people are getting saved, and then there's a, a group of what they call uh, Judaizers. They're coming behind and they're like, hey, good, you've gotten saved, now you've got to uh, be circumcised. And word gets back to Paul and Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa that's, that's a totally different thing. Like, that's not this covenant. And so they kind of get into this debate, they lay out the doctrine that you do not have to be circumcised to be walking in the new covenant, right? So there are Jews who have gotten saved, and they are in their own immaturity, ignorance, not understanding. And so there's influence among the Gentiles coming from the Jews as well. So what a lot of scholars think is that Paul is referencing something that the Jews would have been really familiar with, because this call was a call during the, uh, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, which was a, a, a time to recognize sin and not ignore it, right? So during this feast, the idea was stop condoning sin. And so by using this language, wake up is what they would say. Stop, awake, you're asleep. If you're, if you're accepting moral uh, sin to take place around you and you're not saying anything, now I'm not telling you to go out and go beat people up or anything. That's not love, Right? but neither is being silent. And so you're not saying anything. You're not having a coffee with this person and going, hey, man, I got to tell you, I love you. This is not okay in God's eyes, and I, I'm not here to justify it for you. If you're not doing that, then you are asleep. And so the idea being is he was speaking to a church group, trying to get them to understand, wake up, wake up. So becoming a Christian is about being alive in Christ and dead to sin. That's how you're awake. That's the image of baptism that we celebrated today, is that I am now alive in Christ. I am dead to sin. The old man is gone. Same stuff he talked about in chapter 4. It is gone. It is removed from my life. Look carefully then how you walk, not as, an un, as unwise, but as wise. So this word wise to the Jew it's really fascinating. Learned, cultivated, and skilled. So wisdom is the mental grasp which observes and penetrates into the nature of things, allowing one to skillfully perform difficult tasks that are beyond their own ability or capacity. So wisdom is both intuitive and spiritual. So book smarts is not wisdom. 
Wisdom is this, this, this intuitive nature that is met by a spiritual leading, the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden you begin to comprehend things that you just on your own would not comprehend. You become capable of doing things that on your own you were not capable of doing. So look carefully then how you walk. Walk, remember Ephesians chapter 1 is to live. So look how you live not as unwise, but as somebody that has a spiritual guide working in your life, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Can I tell you, I, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know that we are, that we are living in the time of, of the final Antichrist. Right? Jesus says that, that there is an antichrist, and there are many antichrists, right? So there are cycles of sin. These same cycles continue to happen, and the way that we are able to tell the one ultimate cycle, the final time that the, 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 the final antichrist, the final leader shows up, is that there are a series of prophecies that will all be fulfilled, not a portion of them, right? So antichrists will fulfill portions of these things, but they won't fulfill all of them. And that's how we're able to identify that's not the Antichrist. I don't know when they're coming. And what Paul is not saying is that the days are ending. He says that they're evil. The days are evil. There's evil afoot. It seeks to consume us, control us, and gain control of our children. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And God's will is not rocket science. God's will is for us to, at, at very foundationally, not live in sin. To be able to call sin, sin, and, and then when we're struggling with it, because we will, I get it, some of us will walk into some areas and we'll go, man, I need some help. We come together because we're the body. It's not condemning. It's like, hey, you've got this issue. Whatever your temptation is, I'm going to help hold you accountable. Right? For one, it might be the bottle, and for another, it might be an extramarital affair. But whatever it is, we come together and we go, I'm going to help you walk through this because I identify that that is not God's will for us. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So this is not random. This feels random in English, right? It's like we've been talking about sexual sin, we've been talking about wisdom, and then he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery. So the problem is, is that we don't really understand what this term here being used for debauchery is. So this word for debauchery is, is wastefulness and wantonness. And we talked about this last week. This is a term that in the Greek is sexual in nature, meaning that there are no boundaries for sexual revolution. Anything goes, right? Anything goes. And he says this, he, he says, do not get drunk with wine, right? Because what? Because when that happens, we lose inhibition. When you're drunk, you don't make good decisions. When you're drunk, you make decisions that aren't just bad for you, they're bad for people around you. So in sum, be wise and stand against sin and don't do things that prevent you from being wise. That's how, the, that's how this verse ties in. He goes, look, you need to be actively wise and don't consume things that snatch that wisdom away from you. Because when it gets snatched away, because you're familiar with darkness, you have no barrier there not to step back into darkness. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Culture hates this. They're just religious Man, who listens to praise and worship riding down the road? Well, somebody who wants to hear from God does. Somebody who wants to be in the presence of God, that's who does it. Well, who listens to a sermon riding down the road? Somebody who wants to know the Word of God, that's who does. Why would I sing psalms? Why would I pray to God? Because I want to interact with Him. Because He is my strength, He is my portion. And by doing those things, I, I gain stability. Of course the world hates it. Why? Because the days are evil. The culture hates anything that would make you more stable within your relationship with God. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. Let's stand to our feet. Christ followers do not run from or give in to sin. That there is a difference between Christ followers not sinning, right? We do not give in to it. We're not letting it consume us. And we're certainly not going to run. We're going to face it, and we're not going to let it be our master. That's the body. And that's why Paul, coming into this whole thought process, sums it up with this. Doing what? That you are connecting with each other, holding each other accountable. You are thankful. You are a body. We, that is unity. He says here, by submitting yourselves. In the Greek, this is a reflex to obey. When you're in right relationship with God and, and something's going wrong, right? The reflex is going to be, I, I need to go talk to somebody. I need help. I need to be in community. I, I want this to be better. I can tell you right now, I've experienced that in my life. I always had this idea, would, if I was in uh, taking, you know, if I ever, uh, if anything ever happened, right, that surprised me, how would I respond, right? Because uh, I've heard stories of, of people, you know, in the moment something happens and, you know, you're, they, they say things that are unbefitting of Christians. And I always wondered, like, would that be an overflow of who I am? And so I was uh, in Bible college and delivering pizzas. And this is just something I thought about really a lot. It was like, what would I do? Well, delivering pizzas, a uh, car in front of me stops. I come to a stop. I'm driving a Honda hatchback. Uh, not sure if you remember those, but they were quite the thing in 1998. Uh, and I'm sitting there, and I look in my rear view, and I see a Cadillac not stopping. And in a blink of an eye, my rear bumper was in my back and my doors were all crunched up and I pushed the door open and I don't really remember anything else for a moment and when everything kind of like came back in I was praying and talking to Jesus doesn't make me better than anybody else but it was a victory in my life and I looked like a total and complete fool because I started dancing on the side of the road right <laughs> Nobody else, they all thought, like, this guy's excited. He got hit, right? He must think he's going to get big money, right? No, 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 no. I just was like, man, something overflowed inside of me, and I'm glad it was there. I'm glad I didn't jump out, and my first reaction was, who do I kill, right? And I turn around, and there's this elderly woman behind the, 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 driver, the wheel, driver's the steering wheel. She had been driving, and she's crying. And I run over to her, and she's like, She's like, I thought I killed you, and you're dancing. What's going on? And I was like, because God is good. Because God is good. In that moment, I just got to tell you, I want the instinct, the reflex is to, to be in obedience. And it's not something that just happens, man. That comes from riding down the road, listening to praise and worship. It comes from being in your word. And I'm not going to tell you that every season of my life, if I had been hit by a car, it would have been like that. But in that moment, it was and it's something that I aim for. I want to end by saying this. I am for you, but I'll not condone sin. I am for every single one of you. If you call City Church home, I'm for you. I will labor in love alongside of you to find freedom from the things that destroy you. I, I, can't, I can't be silent. I can't stand by and watch destruction happen. And I, my prayer isn't that you would just walk away today going, good, I feel good that Pastor Jim's in that place. I want you to walk out of here in that place. We are called, we are called to be a voice and to be light. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you right now if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, uh, there's a work that takes place from the Holy Spirit and it begins to stir inside of you and it's a calling that calls you to a place of repentance and if that's happening in here today our prayer ministry team is going to be in the back and we'd love to pray with you and share with you what that what that drawing is what that thing is that's pulling inside of you right now is we also want to give you an opportunity if you're sick in body to be prayed for before we leave I just want to pray over all of us Lord Lord we want to find that balance between calling out sin 
and loving people. And Lord, I, I just, I feel like, 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 like it's, I know for you it's so simple. And I just, I have to think that there are others who feel like I do, that, that it's, it's like this perfect balancing act that is such a struggle and we just need your guidance so that we can, we can walk through these things that Paul is calling us to with faithfulness and be a, a, a part of the body right here in Savannah, Georgia that, that is willing to, to love and be the body of Christ without compromising. Lord, let, us not, let it not be spoken of among us that we are condoning these lifestyles or that we partner with those who advocate for them, but instead let us be speakers of truth as we invite people into our homes, as we uh, gather with people that we do work with or sh that we're in shopping centers around. Lord, let us, let us be light in the darkness for you and let us personally find freedom. We love you and we praise you and we ask these things in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. If you want prayer, if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, prayer ministry team is in the back. If you're online, just uh, uh, connect with us. You can send an email to jim at citychurch.life or ruben at citychurch.life. Uh, either of us will connect with you. We love you guys. As always, go change your world. We'll see you next Sunday.